and welcome to this episode of TASME Time, Talks in Medical Education. I'm Oliver, an internal medicine trainee based in London and part of the TASME Time team. And my name's Rob, I'm a GP trainee based in Lincolnshire in the East Midlands and I'm also part of the TASME Time team. How's your week been Rob? Yeah, good. Um, thank you. Yeah, really good. Um, I'm on annual leave this week, so can't really complain. It's been a little bit cooler, which has been nice because the heat has not been doing me so good, if I'm honest. What about you? Yeah, um, I am revising for an exam, which is not what I would want to be doing. But um, actually, at the time of recording, our um, our pride episode is has gone live and the response that we have had from um listeners and what's been shared on social media in support of the episode has been really um positive and supportive and sort of obviously um people have enjoyed listening to that episode so i'm really proud of that episode and particularly um which has been lovely to see yeah definitely and i think just a massive thank you to the guests we had on that episode again for for really making it it what it was but i'm really proud of it too to be honest i think it's probably been one of my favorites to have recorded absolutely and happy pride um today we are joined by dr elliot reese who is a lecturer in medical education at keel university as well as being an academic gp trainee at university college london we are today going to talk about um an introduction to medical education research about why it's important um and some tips about how we can start to get involved about it and i'm sure we be we will be hearing about um elliot's new upcoming book that he's been editing welcome to tasmi time elliot it's great to have you with us um to get us started, it'd be great if you could tell us a little bit about your career to date and how you've ended up in the sort of the work you're doing at the moment. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, first of all, thank, thanks for inviting me along to, to come and chat. Um, it's always good to, to, to sort of be able to support TASME's endeavours. Um, so I guess in, in terms of career to date, I've had a slightly atypical or, or odd career in that I got involved in medical education research fairly early, although I guess that's becoming increasingly common nowadays. Um, so I did a student-selected component when I was in year three of med school um, in medical education and sort of got really interested in it and then did an integrated master's in med ed um, and then did a, a few research projects at, at that time and just sort of got really interested in education, education theory and research. Um, then did an academic foundation program in MedEd, and after that took some time out to do a PhD um, and got a lecturer job in medical education at the same time working on a master's program. And then following that, um, started academic GP training, again, uh, medical education themed. And alongside all of this have um, always been quite involved with uh, ASME, so the Association for the Study of Medical Education, went to my first ASME conference back in 2012 and really liked the community and have, have been going every year since. Um, and then I guess, so the other things I do at the moment are, um, I did a, one of medical education's editorial internships and then got a bit involved in editing. So I'm associate editor for a couple of journals and I'm a, chair of the editorial advisory board for the clinical teacher 
um, and I've just finished editing um, a book on um, medical education research, so it's called Startling Research in Clinical Education, available in all good bookstores later this year. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's a sort of brief summary of my career to date. Um, and I think, yeah, I think one of the things, like looking back, um, thinking about my career and how I've ended up doing what I've done, I think it was really just fortunate where I ended up going to medical school because I went to Keele Uni um, and I was the second year on their new undergraduate MBCHB programme. I think they were doing lots of innovative stuff um, and had lots of people interested in innovation and research. Um, and so I think it was just a, a sort of right place to to get involved um, and be supported and nurtured in doing that. Um, I think it's quite interesting you mentioned that. Um, I reflect on this nearly every episode now, but I, I think most people talk about there being some element of luck in how they've ended up where they are, um, whether it be being right place, right time, or meeting the right person type things. And I think I always find it quite heartening, really, to think that actually, I think when you look at people that um, are big names in medical education, and that tends to be the kind of people we obviously have as guests on this podcast, I think it's interesting to see that most people have that same bit there because I think it does um, say a lot about how career planning may or may not um, go down. Um, I'm also impressed yeah. that you managed within two minutes to get a reference in about the book. Um, if I'd been having a sweepstake, I don't think even I'd have gone in that early. And we will come back to talk about the book because um, it's something I think could be useful to find out a little bit more about that that experience. I feel like I delayed that as much as humanly possible. Um your, your point about foot, you know, uh, fortuity. I, I know Wendy Hugh did a nice paper a few years ago, um, where uh, in, titled something like "It's all serendipity." And I do think a lot of a lot of careers in medical education are serendipitous. Um, but uh, yeah, and I think a lot of it it comes down to the the people that you meet and the relationships that you build as well. No, I definitely think that's certainly true of my career. Um, and that we were talking about before we started turning on the recording a little bit about about that and um yeah i think that's very much been true of my career um to date i suppose really before we go much further talking about medical education research i suppose a really good starting place for this episode is to be really clear about what research in medical education is and perhaps for listeners who are early in perhaps a clinical teaching fellow role or something like that how it differs from quality improvement work and evaluation work because I know we see every year a lot at the ASME ASM really good evaluation of teaching but how is that different to research? Um, so for, for me I think there's some a few sort of key differences between evaluation and research and you mentioned quality improvement I think that's a term um, from my perspective that's used more in clinical work, um, tend not to talk so much about QI and sort of medical education stuff, but tend to, I guess the equivalent is innovation, like educational innovations. Um, and the three can go hand in hand. So, you know, you might develop an innovation and evaluate it and also do some research around it. Um, so I guess I think the, the key differences between research and evaluation are partly the audience um, and partly the purpose. So, you know, research, the purpose is to generate new knowledge and new understanding, whereas evaluation is to sort of seek, you know, whether, seek the value in something, basically, you know, it's, it's in the name. 
Um, so it's looking at, is this effective? Is this good? Do people like this? Rather than necessarily um, you know, creating new knowledge around it. Um, so, and that ties in with the audience then. So if you're trying to find out, you know, is our program that we're delivering effective or delivering effective, that's probably only really of interest locally. Um, you might share it, you know, in, in sort of regional communities or, or, you know, throughout the university and other departments or things, but it's probably not going to be of interest to an international audience. Whereas research that seeks to generate new knowledge, um, it is more likely to be of interest sort of um, nationally, internationally. So that's another another sort of key difference. Sometimes like the methods that you use for each of them can be fairly similar. So it can be, you know, it can be, that's I think lends to some of the confusion between the two. But I think it's worth thinking, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? Um, and who's the audience? And that can be helpful for that. Um, David Cook, Oh God, I can't remember how long ago, but you know, several years ago, described a um, framework for describing research as well that um, sort of oh, categorised things into description research, um, justification research, and clarification research. And I think it's also worth thinking about that when you're thinking about the research that you're going to do, you know, and the outputs that you're doing. Are you just describing what you're doing? Are you trying to justify it? You know, that can be often evaluative. Or are you trying to clarify? I think it's that clarification research that um, that really moves the field forward. So thank you so much. I think that's a really good um, sort of a good basis of understanding about what is medical education research and the kind of some of the different questions that um, research questions that people might be started with. You obviously described Elliot in your sort of the, your career to date that you get, got involved in medical education research quite early on um whilst you were still a medical student and obviously now as a sort of editor and post PhD you're seeing lots of the output um lots of our listeners are quite in the early stages of their med ed careers and maybe starting to think about that step into doing some research as well as just being an educator and I wondered if you had any tips about where where's a good place to start with starting to formulate a research question or um you've worked on a project and how do you convert that into a publication or a presentation yeah um so i think i think the first first thing to do is to think about you know have you got a topic that that is of uh, is of interest um and you can come up you know you can identify those sort of topics through various different things you know the, the the key ways i think are useful are thinking about are there things in your educational practice either as a teacher or as a learner that frustrate you and you think this you know this doesn't work very well or or you know have you developed innovations um other ways of coming up with it is just reading journals um reading literature find out the conversations that are happening in the field and the the tensions um and the um the areas that aren't fully understood and then the other thing is, is have conversations. So have conversations with colleagues, um, you know, talk about the, the things that you think might be interesting. Um, and once you've got an idea for a, for a topic, then I think that's when it's most important to, to sort of try and reach out to a potential mentor or supervisor. Um, and, you know, if you're in an academic department, then, you know, reach out to someone It doesn't necessarily have to be the person that you're going to end up working with, but just reach out to someone and you know, say, do you think this topic's got legs? Do you think this is going to be of interest to the community? And do you think it's worth pursuing? Um, 
because if they're someone that knows the field fairly well that they, they usually have a fairly broad idea of what might be um worth putting your, your time and effort into um and if you're not in an academic department or, or if it's someone that doesn't have that sort of experience then now, I'm always surprised at and uh, overwhelmed at how supportive the medical education community is. I think it's, you know, you can reach out to people, you can chat to people at conferences, people that, you know, you've only seen as names on papers and, you know, you're a bit starstruck when you see them and you go up and chat and they're, they're friendly, they're supportive. And if you're, you know, enthusiastic and engaged, um, they're going to be really keen to support that um, and, and nurture uh, nurture that. So I think trying to come up with a, a topic that's got legs um, and then you know, seek support to try and turn that from from an idea into a question that you can that you can research. Um, I think getting the topic and the question right is is actually the most important. And, you know, you can get support from you know, um, like research methods, courses or books or, or mentors, etc. to get the design right. But just spending that time making sure that the, the topic is, is of interest. The other thing is that, you know, we're talking a lot about research. Um, we did talk a little bit earlier about sort of innovation and evaluation. I think they're, they're perfectly reasonable places to start and, you know, get the ball rolling. Um, and I'd encourage you to, to look at, you know, if you're thinking about going to conferences, A, go to conferences is great. It's the best thing you can do in your career because, A, it's really fun. Um, you know, you, you get to meet lots of people. Everyone's really enthusiastic and engaged. It's um, it, it's kind of really motivating. Um, you get to make friends um, and like mind, you know, meet like-minded people. Um, you know, you get to hear interesting talks, um, and you know, uh, you can come up with ideas from that. So I would encourage you to to, to go to conferences and submit abstracts to conferences. And then have a look at the, uh, you know, just familiarise yourself with the journals in the field. Increasingly, lots of the journals have special article types aimed at, you know, describing innovations or evaluations. Um, and, you know, so, for example, the clinical teacher also has recently launched a new um, special series where they're publishing twice a year. Uh, there's a call for projects coming out of medical education or clinical education master's projects um, so they can be publishing those as, as a, a set series so there's lots of opportunities to, to do this um, and you know it's worth thinking early on where you might want to to end up disseminating it um, I think that's really helpful and I and I think it's really helpful that you sort of started there with with some of the stuff around thinking about the innovation stuff I think this is a an ASME, a TASME podcast. And I think it's really important to point out that both JASME, so the sort of foundation doctor and medical student branch of ASME and TASME have innovation prizes as well. So actually, if you are trying and doing innovative work and you, you want as a first step into where you might take that, that's one opportunity that might then open a door into to something else as well and, and building on that. So it's definitely worth having a look at things like that. I'm sure there are other organisations out there as well who offer prizes and opportunities like that alongside things what were you going to say Oliver sorry no I think we you've uh, you mentioned it a couple of times about conferences and I think I'd echo that as someone who was a teaching fellow last year and went to my first um ASME ASM and I was really blown away by how supportive and how friendly it was I learned so much I was really inspired 
um, it, it triggered me to end up joining the TASME team and becoming more involved in it. And I think absolutely there was such a great place to see what other work's going on, meet other people. And I think, I think especially having been to sort of other medical conferences, which bit, which were more sort of clinically minded, which can be really daunting as a junior um, or just starting out in your career. Actually, I think medical education ones are really friendly and really engaging and and um, a, a really good place to start and would highly recommend it. Yeah, I feel like the hierarchy is much flatter at educational conferences um, because, you know, people, you know, if you're a learner, you know, either a student or a trainee, you've got this really unique insight into some of these problems because you're living it. Um, and so people are interested in hearing what you've got to say and the work that you're doing um, in a way that, you know, it's when you're at clinical conferences, you're, when you're earlier in your career, you're probably not running, you know, you're probably not PI for large RCTs, etc., which is what people are interested in often at those conferences. So, um, yeah, I think I think that adds to it. And I think just to build on it as well, I I don't know about you, Elliot, but obviously Oliver joined the TASME committee on the back of attending one of ASME's conferences. I joined JASME and subsequently TASME through the same route. And I think it's it's a really good way of meeting other people um, that are like-minded at your level as well as at senior level. And I think that's also really helpful. I think it's helpful to have that network of people that, you can then call upon or bounce ideas off or, or collaborate with as well. It gives you that as well as the opportunity to meet people looking upwards. I think having that that base at a similar level to you is a really excellent opportunity as well. I know we've gone a little bit off topic there, but I think it's it's another really important thing. No, I agree. I think, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to end up saying this lots of time, but you know, fundamental to a lot of what makes or breaks, I think, good research and good careers is people you know it's, it's people and relationships that you're working with and so conferences are opportunity to meet people meet like-minded people develop relationships and nurture them over time i think we've talked a lot about sort of the um how great conferences are but um i think it might be interesting to talk about why medical education research is important I when I first went to uni I did a separate subject did a chemistry degree and chemistry education research is nowhere near there is very little output on it comparative to sort of medical education and healthcare professionals education and it, it might be slightly obvious but why is it so important that we research this topic yeah no i think that's a really good question um and you're right you know there is lots of general higher education research um but medical education and clinical education research is um you know almost as big a field in in some ways um certainly you know it's for for quite a niche discipline um it's you know it has really come on particularly the last 20 30 years you know it's it's developed enormously um and i think that's because you know, high quality medical education delivery um, is essential to understanding how we should be best be recruiting future healthcare professionals, training them, assessing them, supporting them, evaluating them, um, you know, in order to be able to, so that they can provide safe and effective safe and effective patient care. 
Um, so I think that's, you know, the high quality education is essential and that's got to be underpinned with high quality medical education research um, to help us to generate theory, to understand these problems um, and try to start to develop credible solutions to some of these. I think it's, it reminds me what you've just said to some extent of, of one of the um, conversations I had really early on when I expressed an interest in wanting to pursue a career in, in medical education generally in that idea that actually if if what dry, drove you to becoming a doctor was the sort of cliche I want to help people or, or help people who are ill or something along those lines that actually you depending on on the role you have in education actually a good educator can help way more patients than a good clinician does by themselves in lots of ways, but by what you then do. And we talk so much, don't we, about evidence-based practice clinically. So it only makes sense to me that, that we need the same in medical education. And I, I guess I'm glad to see that increasingly at a national level in the UK, that's starting to be taken more seriously than perhaps it was even five, ten years ago. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. It's all about the effect that you can um, have on, on, on patient care, ultimately. Um, I So, uh, again, at Keele Uni, there's an annual staff development conference, and I remember going to it, again, while I was a student, um, you know, a few years in, but the head of school at the time, um, one, one of my mentors, Andy Hassel, used to uh, always present a, a slide um, on the number of Keele graduates um, and the number of consultations they're having throughout the country and you know really just to demonstrate you know the effect that the teaching that goes into each one of these students is having on the healthcare of the population even for a really new school um, yeah I would you know I, if you think about it that way um, you realize actually doing this right is kind of important I think that's a really nice way of thinking about it actually um nice and visual as well i think maybe we should move on a little bit now and think we've sort of talked a little bit about why research is important we've talked a little bit about how it's different to evaluation but how actually some of the methodologies might be the same and i think it's probably a good time to talk a little bit about methodologies and methods and thinking a lot of med ed research is qualitative and that's likely to be new for a lot of people early in their careers in med ed and, and quite different to to the evidence base and research that's often undertaken in clinical medicine can you give us a bit of a quick summary about that and and maybe some places you'd recommend people go away and have a look if they are interested in finding out more because i appreciate that we could talk all day about qualitative research hmm. so i think I think the first thing to highlight is that, okay, yeah, there is quite a lot of qualitative medical education research um, nowadays. That hasn't always been the case. Again, and you know, this comes back to, to Cook's framework that I described earlier. You know, originally, lots of the medical research was fairly descriptive. This is the intervention we're doing. This is what we're doing here at our school. You know, it was lots of show and tell to, to a certain extent. Then there was lots of justification research, um, you know, this, we're doing this and it works and we can tell that because students that do this intervention perform better than the ones that do this intervention. Um, and that's, you know, using things like trials and assessment data are the things that can support that. And that's all very quantitative. Um, the sort of newer wave of qualitative research that we're seeing over the last decade or so increasingly um, 
is aiming at that clarification and trying to help us understand things. So understand why interventions work or don't, why they work or don't in different contexts or with different types of learners, um, and understand what problems need to be addressed next. So, so that, that's why we're seeing more of it. In terms of what qualitative research is, I think the, the key thing to to sort of emphasize is that the aim of the kind of knowledge that you're trying to, trying to generate through qualitative research is very different to the kind of knowledge that you're trying to generate through quantitative research that lots of clinicians um, are probably more used to and use more in their in their clinical practice and their, their reading to support that. Um, so, you know, whereas quantitative research tries to often take quite a positivist view of, you know, there is a single answer, we need to find out what that answer is. Um, so, you know, what is the effect of aspirin on um, MIs or whatever, um, you know, does it work or not, um, compared to qualitative research that tends to be more what we call constructivist, which is understanding that actually there's probably not necessarily one answer, but there could be lots of answers and, they, and that could depend on how these things are experienced by different people, again, in different contexts. Um, and that there's not necessarily, you know, that some of those answers might be conflicting, but that doesn't mean that they're wrong, that they're experienced, you know, how they're constructed. Um, so I think that's, you know, understanding the kind of knowledge claims that you're trying to make um, between the two different, and this is a really crude breakdown here, but I think it, you know, um, that's a simple way of trying to, to think about it. Um, and then trying to recognize that actually, you know, often qualitative research is more contextually bound and, you know, the, the claims that you're trying to make aren't necessarily going to be generalizable to, to other programs because they're going to be different. Um, but often some of the lessons that you learn from it can be transferable to, you know, in, in other settings, uh, depending on, on lots of caveats and assumptions. Is, is that, is that, uh, answered your question? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a really good place. I suppose the the follow up to it is what, where can people look if they want to find out more, what resources, is there anything out there you'd particularly recommend? I feel like you're setting me up here to, to say, obviously, the place to go and look um, is my forthcoming book, Starting Researching Clinical Education, um, that I've just finished editing with uh, Alison Ledger from University of Queensland and Kim Walker from University of Aberdeen. Um, and that's coming out in October this year. Um, so yeah, there's a whole section or part within that book on qualitative research methods. And there's also loads of stuff on research design and trying to understand some of those um, philosophical differences between these. There's also lots of other resources um, that I'd recommend because, you know, while SARS is sort of med-ed or clinod specific, um, you know, going back to some of the original texts underpinning some of these, I think uh, is worth doing. So, um, Braun and Clark have written a few books on qualitative research in general and on reflexive thematic analysis in particular um, that I think are useful um, useful places to go and understand some of those issues uh, more particularly. They've written a chapter on different types of thematic analysis for us, which I think is really useful for medical education researchers. Um, there's also another book coming out shortly 
um, edited by a team um, including Charlotte Rees and Lynn Monroe and Claire Palermo from Australia, Bridget O'Brien from um, California, and uh, Lizzie Gordon from Dundee, which um, is another medical education research methods book that's I think it's out in August or September this year, that is looking much more at the theoretical and philosophical underpinnings of this and some of the key differences between different research paradigms and approaches. Um, whereas ours is much more practical and you know looking at the methods that you would, might employ um so i'd encourage that's going to be a really good i've read some of the chapters in that that's going to be a really good place to, to get started um and then the other book that uh, i would have to recommend would be jen cleland and steve durning's researching medical education which is another one of the asme wiley books um which as well as looking at some of the research design stuff really helps to unpick how you can use theory to um, inform and support uh, high quality rigorous research. That's great. Thank you. I think what lo lots of the things you've mentioned um, where similar things were said by um, Megan Brown in our um, International Women's Day careers panel and sort of that when you've got a question is really trying to I think and I've definitely been sort of caught up in this of actually not fully understanding the the theoretical underpinning before diving into a project and then actually when you come to a write-up you're a bit like oh we didn't quite fully grasp this and so actually taking that time to really understand some of the theory that's underpinning the wider work in the area can be really useful and actually saves it would have saved me time in the long run but um and definitely and i'm sure your book is a lovely easy read to introduction to it thanks um yeah but firstly well firstly megan's absolutely great she's a rock star in the community um so i'll have to go and listen to her episode um the yeah i think that sort of what we call internal coherence or alignment is absolutely fundamental um in this and again it's one of those things that if you don't you know, often it's an unknown unknown um, and you don't necessarily realize that the way that you articulate your question can infer assumptions or biases and um, so it's really worth you know that's why I encourage you to, to reach out and have these conversations with people that probably know a little bit more and can support you to, to, to think through some of that. Um, it's also worth flagging up at this point that ASME's Researching Medical Education Conference in London this November is all about this so it's all it's called alignment matters this year um, and we're talking about that importance of aligning your philosophical and theoretical um, perspectives with your research question and your design methods i think it's useful to really flag that as well because i think it's something i i remember when i did my master's in medical education that from day one it was really flagged but I, it wasn't until i got two years in into the phase where i was starting to really look at my dissertation proposal and question that I realized and I, I was really lucky that I'd had that really hammered home from the beginning because I didn't end up having to to go back and I know um I know other people that have done master's programs different to mine where they have then had to really go back and sort of unpick things so I think it's good we've sort of really had the opportunity to, to flag that um and and it 
would vouch again this isn't a sales pitch for the book i promise but at the same time i i think there's a real gap there i know that when i was struggling to find resources there's the, like um researching medical education is a good a really good book but there's the having something that sort of comes almost the step before that or is a bit more practical um particularly for the novice researcher i think will be a really good addition to to what's out there to help support people's research yeah I mean, that, that's, that's why we've done it. It's, um, you know, I, I was involved in a lot in um, teaching and supervising master's students. Alison was mostly involved in um, supporting integrated BSc students and Kim does a lot of PhD supervision. And the three of us just felt that there was this gap um, that, that needed, needed filling. Um, and then I was going to say something about one of your other comments, but uh, I've, I've lost my train of thought now. If it comes back, let us know. I think um, we've talked about some of the like really pros of getting involved in medical education research, the supportive community. We've talked about making sure your questions aligned and that kind of thing. I think we definitely know that there are barriers to getting involved in medical education and we've um, researched and we've touched on them a little bit, but what do you think some of the barriers are at the moment that people might be struggling with, with, getting involved in medical education and is there anything that we can do to get uh, on and is there anything we can do to help overcome those barriers um i think the main barriers as with everything are time um you know it's difficult to to find the time alongside busy degree programs or careers to do this um so and you know sometimes that means carving out time to be able to do it properly you know by doing something like a teaching fellowship that gives you the opportunity and you know if you're thinking about a teaching fellowship find out is it the kind of teaching fellowship where they supported previous teaching fellows to to do educational research and scholarship and given them the time and resources to do that or is it somewhere where you know it's all about service delivery in terms of teaching um because there is a lot of variation throughout the country and throughout different hospitals and uh universities regarding that so i think you know so i think finding opportunities for time through teaching fellowships um you know other sorts of fellowships like leadership fellowships or or just taking time out to do a phd um something like that uh so time's the main one um i guess expertise but i think we've talked a lot about how how you might start to overcome some of that um one of the issues that i know I mean, I've been quite fortunate in that I haven't had too much of this, but I know um, colleagues in other clinical disciplines have had more of an issue is credibility. So, you know, um, and I wrote a paper with Johnny Guckey and and Simon Fleming about this, um, a bit of a rant, to be honest. Um, But yeah, about medical education research not being perceived to be as scientific or credible as clinical research. I think we're overcoming that and I think NIHR, the National Institute for Health and Care Research, have been helpful in the way in which they've changed their remit um, for funding, but also put clinical education as a priority theme, one of five priority themes, um, to really show that this stuff is important, um, we value it and we're willing to fund it. Um, and I think that helps to, to change some of the narrative around this. Um, yeah, and as you know, as as the fundings become, uh, you know, including things like academic clinical fellowships and lectureships and things like that, 
As the funding and career opportunities increase, so does the ability to do good quality work, which increases the reputation and credibility of it as a scientific field. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, finding the time to do it and things like, you know, I mentioned academic clinical fellowships. Um, so I'm, I'm a, an NHR ACF, uh, which is like a medical education themed one. Um, and that's a great way to find some time to do some medical education research. You know, I know I'm using it sort of having already done a fair amount, but lots of people, um, you know, you, they're not always as competitive as you might think. You know, some, they are designed at people that are starting to explore research and starting to work up, you know, thinking about whether or not they might want to go on to do a PhD. The other thing that's uh, I can't believe I haven't mentioned already is what was the academic foundation program now the specialist or special something like that foundation program um which is a great opportunity to have some protected time to to do a small project um or use your elective or something like that for meadow research i did that as well um thank you that's really helpful i think it i think it's probably also worth flagging up it i know as three on this podcast are all clinicians and actually I think it's probably worth reflecting that actually lots of people in medical education don't have a clinical background or no longer practice clinically and actually there's lots of routes into it from a whole variety of backgrounds lots of sort of sociologists and sort of higher educators and those kind of have ended up with careers in medical education and so and I think it's come up on other podcasts about that actually the there has been an issue in medical education of what a career looks like in 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 the field and so that's that's starting to change with those um as you mentioned with the sort of the nihr funded fellowships in the area and sort of people who are progressing in the special the the, the academic discipline to role model against i think that's one of the real nice things about it actually is a special specialism to work in uh, in research is actually the the ability to work with people that come from different backgrounds and the variety that brings and the perspectives that brings i think that's one of the real joys i find of of academic medical education is unlike clinical research which is is generally speaking fairly um certainly it depends which part of clinical research i guess but certainly the sort of side of of what i often see um in terms of big RCTs on real clear clinical topics, they, they're quite medic focused. And I think it's nice to have that variety and that variety of perspectives, because I think it just makes the discussion so much richer. Mm. Uh, definitely agree. That interdisciplinarity really drives the field forward. Um, and it makes it more interesting. You know, it makes it more rigorous often. You know, you, it points out some of the assumptions and gaps um, in your, your design and your understanding. Um, and it you know it makes it more interesting and enjoyable definitely i suppose we really should ask a little bit more about the book um <laughs> since we've already mentioned it what at least three times but i just i was just a bit interested really like tell us a little bit more about how how sort of that whole process has been for you because i guess most of our readers, uh, listeners, sorry, probably haven't um, really ever thought about what goes in behind producing a book um, 
sort of an academic book. So I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about that in general and what your experience has been like. Yeah, sure. So, um, so I, I mentioned, I sort of alluded to it a little bit earlier that the idea came up um, the night before a conference when we were all out for dinner and we were having a bit of a chinwag um, and said, you know, really there is a gap in the market for this sort of book. Um, and then someone was like, oh, why don't you propose it then? And then I, yeah, just sort of wrote a bit of a proposal. Or I got the sort of the template for a book proposal from Wiley, our publisher and filled it out and then circulated it to some colleagues and we had a think. Um, and I had designed this thinking, you know, I would, at the time I was working on my PhD and I was thinking this would be a nice project for once I finished my PhD. Um, you know, thinking that Wiley would take a year or 18 months to decide whether or not they wanted to commission it. And then we sent off the proposal once we were happy with it. And three weeks later, Wiley sent us the contract. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Now we have to do this. Um, and it's been a really good experience. I've loved working with um, Kim and Alison. And the thing I should say is, um, you know, we, we didn't, you know, the book isn't written by us. We've worked on editing it. Um, the individual chapters have been written by a team of over 70 um, authors from uh, over, I think it's nine or 10 countries. Um, and we've made sure that each chapter is written by a combination of um, or almost every chapter written by a combination of someone really senior and experienced in the field alongside a early career researcher so it's got that you know that expertise but that practical um, you know these are the problems I was facing when I first started or, or am facing now um, so it's a, it's a really nice balance um, so yeah uh, so I really enjoyed working with them on it um, and it's an opportunity to get to work with um, some of these big names, because that's the thing, you know, when you, we, when we were thinking of who we were going to get to uh, write different chapters, we came up with like a dream list of, you know, who are the big names that, that are really, um, you know, it would be really good to, to get their input in this. Um, and, you know, who are the, some, who's some of these rising stars that'd be really good to get them contributing. And then it's an excuse to ping off an email to them. Um, and, you know, uh, some people didn't have the capacity to do it, um, but I was overwhelmed with just how many people um, were, were happy to do it and, you know, uh, have produced some really, I think, excellent chapters. Um, and it's been really useful for my learning. I feel like I've learned a lot from reading some of the chapters. And whilst, yeah, it's probably slowed down my progress with finishing off the PhD, well, it definitely has. Um, you know, some of the chapters I'm like, ah, oh, definitely, oh, I'll, I'll be able to reference this in my thesis because actually this is, you know, this has been really useful um and it's i'm it's been useful to share with some of the students that i supervise some of the draft versions for you know when they're designing the projects i'm like oh, i've got a chapter you know that you could read about this um so i think it's going to be really useful when it's out to to support some of my masters and uh, integrating students as well um yeah I, so i think it's been really enjoyable um, I think it's been really interesting. I'm hoping to be able to continue to work with some of the people that have contributed to the book, um, you know, on collaborative research in the future. Um, and I'm doing everything in my power not to write up another proposal until I finish my PhD. Um, it sounds like you've got the uh, the book writing itch or like... 
yeah I've, I've got some ideas for other ones um but i think um i think i've got I've, there's other things that, that i need to finish first um yeah excellent i can't wait to re- read it yeah um it shouldn't be too in fact as the reason i've had to to mute my computer is because um as we were starting this recording our publisher started sending through the page proofs for all the chapters um so uh, i'm looking forward to having a look through it. it's really nice like getting to see it all like typeset and in the final design um that was the other thing like we decided pretty early on we had some ideas about cover design but then it was just really fun like the three of us like designing the cover and working with the publishers on that and you know getting to see the final product yeah i can imagine that that actually that would be the bit i would find the most fun i think that says a lot about me as a person to be fair um but i can imagine that it'll be really nice when you get that final printed copy um on your bookshelf i know our listeners can't see this but like you've got a nice bookshelf behind you and i can just imagine it being in the top left hand corner um uh, yeah it's gonna be all over the bookshelf i'm just gonna have like 30 copies there <laughs> no. uh, i think we get three free copies um so I'll, I'll I'll keep one on my bookshelf. Um. Excellent. I suppose we should wrap things up as we always do with a bit of a a sort of thinking forward type question. And and I know we've already talked a little bit about this, but I think it would be quite nice to end just thinking about for listeners, regardless of where they're at in their career stage, regardless to be fair, whether that what background they come from. It, for people that are thinking about pursuing a more formal career in medical education research specifically sort of knowing what you know now what would your advice be to them um i think i'm going to reiterate some of the the key messages that i've mentioned earlier throughout the podcast so i think look look for opportunities for that that will give you protected time that's the first thing the second thing is this you know Medical education is, whilst it's a growing field, it's still small compared to lots of clinical disciplines. Um, And so that has real advantages because it means you can get known in the field, but also it means, you know, it's a small community, you're going to be remembered. Um, So do spend time developing and nurturing relationships. Um, And, you know, think about who do you want to work with, who's fun to work with, um, and how can you sort of combine that with with the things that you're interested in researching. I think the main other message I would give is, um, and again, I saw this by one of my mentors fairly early on, and I haven't been very good at listening to it at times, but you can do anything, but you can't do everything. It's better to do, you know, one or two small things and do it really well than to take on too much and not be able to deliver on time or reliably. Um, I think that's how you, you know, that that's how you support and develop relationships is by being reliable and doing good work. Um, so yeah, I think the thing would be just not to take on too much, particularly if you're doing things, you know, projects alongside other jobs. Um, and have fun and go to conferences and network and chat um, and follow what you enjoy doing. Try not to overthink the 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 long game just follow what's fun and opportunities will arise are you looking at me thinking that's a really hypocritical answer 
I thought it, but I didn't. <laughs> I wouldn't have said it, but now you mention it, I think we're all guilty of that, though, aren't we? Of of potentially overstretching it on. Maybe not all of us, but I certainly <laughs> would put myself in in the camp of overstretching myself and taking on too much sometimes, and therefore um, being certainly under a lot of pressure to deliver at high quality. Um, but I, I think that's often the way of people that are prepared to go over and above, particularly those that come from clinical backgrounds. I think it's unlikely you fall into medical education unless you've been doing some stuff on the side. So by definition, I think we're all at risk of that. So I think that's a really nice and useful way to end things. Um, but that's the thing, and it arises because it's all fun. It's all thing, you know, It's all fun, it's all interesting, it's all things you want to do. You know, people are like, oh, you need to get better at saying no. And it's like, I, I can say no to things I don't want to do. Things I want to do all these things, but you can't do it all. I've got a question for you guys. Oh, what, yeah, what your, uh, this isn't necessarily for for the recording, but um, what what would you have, what would you say the the sort of top tip for a career or a future in med ed is? I think I think it's the work. So for me, I've in my head now started to divide people into uh, med ed type people into one of two camps. So I I think there were there are fundamentally maybe there's four or five camps but there are the people that whose predominant role in medical education is delivery of education who may or may not dabble a little bit in research and then there are people whose predominant role in med ed research or in med ed sorry is research who may or may not dabble in teaching um to some extent and i think understanding which side of that coin suits you better and you want to be is really important that's not to say it's not important to develop skills both sides of the coin and I think it is important that you I think to have credibility on either side of the coin you should have some understanding of either but you you can't really be an expert at both sides of that coin and understanding which side of the coin is the right side for you I think is is really important um I feel I stole that from a guest but I can't actually remember whether the guest um was that said it in the podcast or not um but i did definitely a really really good answer um and it's so i went for a senior lecturer job uh oh god was it last year maybe about a year ago and it was on you know like lead for admissions at medical school um and uh went up and spent a few days visiting and then was shortlisted for interview and didn't get the post and the feedback i was given was you, you know you're you're a researcher, like your whole CV is, I mean, you, you've done lots of educational delivery and stuff, but your CV is really strong on research. This is a delivery job, like you're not going to have time, you know, you might have time to dabble, but you, you, you're not going to feel like um, that you have the opportunity to do the research that clearly you want to do. Um, and that's, you know, it made me reflect on that. I, you know, at the time, I was a bit like, I can decide what I want to do. You know, and actually, like, my plan was always to do more delivery. Um, and I did research initially to try and strengthen my CV and then ended up falling in love with it. And you're right, you can't do everything well, um, particularly if you're balancing this alongside clinical work. You know, you can't be a clinician and an educational, like, you know, leading educational delivery and a researcher, you, can, you know, doing all and have a life. You know, doing all four of those is pretty impossible, I think. Might be able to do two, possibly three. Yeah, I think, I think in everything there's only like 
there's only so many buckets you can have and i think uh, and it's you can have a hundred buckets that just have a a a dribble of water in them which is no use to anybody but actually or you have two or three that are um that you can put actual effort into and uh, become useful and uh, done well and i think it's i think particularly as a as clinicians one of those buckets has to be our clinical at, at this stage of our career and and then there are other things and one of those also in my opinion should be your life and your life outside of work and then there is kind of the additional capacity you've got and I think that's the one that's well especially for someone that's sort of um really early on in my clinical training like I haven't got very much for any other buckets because of exams because of portfolio all of those kind of things and yeah you can you can flex it with less than full time and everything but actually and there's not to say you can try different things with that time and i think is it that you as you said trying that the research or trying the delivery uh, but actually for a long-term career i think you can only, you can only balance so many and i think you're right I think the solution I've tried was to try and create more water by just not sleeping. Um, but that, How's that, that work? doesn't work for very long. I was like, I'll just get up at half four every day and then, then I've got like an extra three hours. Um, but that's not particularly sustainable. I'm really glad that you, you've identified that now because I remember when I asked you how you achieved so much and how I could try and fit something extra in the day, that was the advice that you gave me. So I'm really <laughs> glad that I didn't follow that advice and... <laughs> just don't sleep um well no actually like so it is the last few months that that really hit home when i was like what was i doing i was training for a marathon i was finishing off the book i was recording for my rca and trying to progress my um phd whilst also working 1.3 fte and just got really burnt out and actually like you know just like the main thing that I noticed was started to develop like physical illnesses because just wasn't sleeping. I was just always working and stressed. Um, it was quite nice then like being able to finish that and take two months pretty much off work um, with like fun stuff. Um, but yeah, it's probably not something to repeat in a hurry. I think, uh, I think one of the potential downsides of sort of, um, the med ed community and that kind of, it is that there are because it's quite a small community relatively you can see what people are doing and it's very easy to compare yourself and just like crikey how have they how are they doing that how have they got to that point how have they published so much how have they done? and then you 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 do do a bit of digging and it's not everything is perfect it's kind of you you can't you can't do it all and lots of people have had experience of like yeah if you're if you intercalate and do a master's so you've got your med ed master's done before you leave medical school you've basically got a couple of things you can probably publish by the time you've left medical school get into a good like um there are things that set you up for that and actually if you you're later joining it like I only just did my PG set haven't done my master's yet those kind of things it's like I mean it's a different ball game and so actually you can't compare and whilst it's very easy to do that I think I think because you can say that realistically us three are fairly similar clinically graded 
like but actually career-wise we're miles apart of what we've achieved and the experiences we've got to and so i think it's 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 lovely to see people succeeding but equally try not to be overwhelmed by it that was a really great discussion i think um I've learned a huge amount from what Elliot has achieved and has mentioned about and also quite inspired by his career and what he has done. No, I massively agree. And I think I'm really excited to read the book. Um, Although I've already done my master's, as I mentioned earlier, in medical education, I'm really looking forward to reading it and using it to really fill in some of those more practical gaps. Um, So thank you again to our guest, Dr. Elliot Rees, for sharing everything he's done and knows on this topic i think it's been a really great introduction for listeners if you have enjoyed today's episode please don't forget to rate review and subscribe you can find out more about tasmi asmi and our many other groups at asmi.org.uk and make sure you follow us on twitter at tasmi underscore uk thanks to everyone in the podcast team and the wider tasmi committee as well as amlunya for our theme music thank you for listening to tasmi time and we look forward to seeing you again soon Thank you.